Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Pixels for Breakfast podcast, a bi-weekly show where we take a look at the most interesting news beats and talk about the games that have captured our interest. I'm your host, Steve Haller, former game journalist for Game Informer, The Escapist, and a bunch of other places, and former game developer at Fellow Traveller. And joining me is my co-host, Blue, former game developer at Giant Margarita and community manager of Near Reincarnation. How's it going, Blue? It's weird to be able to wave and be like, that's going to be in camera. I know. I need to drink water after that huge intro. Oh my God. That's, we need to cut that down. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Maybe as time goes on, we go, you know who we are. Yeah, exactly. You know, maybe it just, it just devolves into that. I'd be cool with that. That's fine. (laughs) Awesome. So for those listening on your podcatcher of choice, we are also doing this live on youtube.com forward slash pixels for breakfast. Feel free to tune in or watch the video version there as we do show some of the game trailers of the stuff we're talking about. And Blue, we're going to talk about a, a story I was not expecting for us to need to talk about or be talking about in 2023. And something I know that's yeah. close to your heart, we're going to be talking about mm. an update that's coming to Team Fortress 2. Yeah, of all potentially. Things. Potential update. I don't, <laughs> I don't believe it's live until it's live with TF2. Having said that, you know, there was the an update literally called the Blue Moon update because it just kind of happened. So yeah, yeah. credit to them. It does just happen sometimes. So yeah, this um, uh, story did drop. Valve uh, released an announcement that they were going to be doing an update this summer. Uh, it was a post on the pretty much dormant uh, Team Fortress website that promised that promised a full-on update-sized update with, and also asking for Steam Workshop creators to submit their content. The, the quote was, the last few Team Fortress summer events have only been item updates, but this year we're planning on shipping a full-on update-sized update with items, maps, taunts, unusual effects, war paints, and who knows what else. Which means we need Steam Workshop content. Your Steam Workshop content. They quickly walked this back, though, just a few days later, because the internet and uh, Team Fortress 2 fans were, were kind of super excited about it. Uh, they've uh, changed the wording from a full-on update-sized update uh, to a holiday-sized update, so tempering expectations. Um, this is, like, pretty big because there was the Save TF2 protest. Uh, I think that was last yep. year, um, which, was, you know, yeah. a lot of fans have talked about their, you know, Valve have seemingly left this game behind, and you can kind of understand why it is old it is very old i feel like for most people it has run its course um but Mm. i mean you've gone back to it recently i think right so how do you feel Uh, about relatively so safety of two is an interesting protest it wasn't even necessarily a um a demand for more content it was a growing concern that if they didn't get some fixes because it was mainly about like bugs and stuff that the game was going to eventually die very similar to the state that titanfall the first one was in where the multiplayer was completely untenable because of the amount of bots and hacking that was going on tf2 fans were were like concerned that we were gonna be in a similar position basically and uh some of the message was not necessarily like give us more stuff because it's yeah Everyone understands it's an old game and everyone understands that it's time to move on. But like because there wasn't a clear definitive we're done supporting this game now, people didn't want to lose that. A lot of people still really, really like TF2, right? So it Understandably was a plea too. I mean, for, it's a great game. 
yeah, it was a plea for if you're not going to do anything, give us the keys somehow, because a bunch of stuff with TF2, I'm thinking back to end of the line, have mm -hmm. been community based updates to begin with. So it's not like the community wasn't ready to potentially step up and try to handle the game. And I'm sure that there's a lot of nightmare in that of like, how do you <laughs> give game servers and stuff to people? Mm -hmm. But, you know, they wanted to have some of that conversation. But, and instead, Valve came back. And uh, I don't know if you know the, this part of the story where after seeing that move, Safety F2 gather traction on primarily Twitter, I think, mm -hmm. um, Valve's response was an in-game blast notification of saying, hey, we heard you and we'll do something. Yeah, that's super um, cool, right? So that was a lot of devs. That was just really, really that. cool. Yeah, yeah. But like, that was a very big statement of not just a blog post or Twitter post or tweet, you know, something like that. It was game to everyone who was playing at the at that point. Uh, so uh, the like people that the actually matters, system. the people who are actually engaging and not just jumping yeah. on the, the social media. Uh, lane, and, right? and to their credit, they they put up a, a patch in in I think the month or so following. So that was cool, but you know it's obviously not an update that a lot of people wanted. So there were the more reasonable expectations of like, give us the keys if you're done with this. Mm -hmm. But a lot more people were just like, yeah, we, we would like our game fixed, please. And um, I don't know. There is a lot of feeling in the community of this is about what we expect in terms of the the walking back of the size of the update. They haven't done something huge and, and amazing since um, the pyro versus heavy event, which mm -hmm. led to the um, pyromania update, I think it was called. Um, and then the very lackluster heavy one that followed. So it, it's clear that this isn't their priority. And it's hard to argue with, you know, <laughs> that it should be. But I don't know. Yeah, there's just a lot of, yeah, this is what we get. Yeah, it could yeah. be interesting to see if maybe like this is a, a launching off point. Like that, the thing with Valve is who knows what the hell they're gonna do right now. Like I yeah. think so many it, of their resources so... are still focused on the Steam Deck. Like that has become yep. a much bigger success than I think even they had anticipated. Um, and like people think that Valve is like this massive, massive company, and it's really not. Like their offices no. are quite small. Um, Relative. it is, yeah, it is true that they kind of work on kind of whatever they want. So who knows? Maybe there is something to, if I'm like, not mistaken, the TI is managed mostly in office as well, right? It's not like they hire an events company necessarily. Yeah, I'm sure I there's like so. an arm. Yeah. 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 And that's also in a state at the moment, like not just the event itself, but like the surrounding digital stuff that's yeah. not amazing this past year uh, is the impression i get from my friends who are like big fans so the thing with tf2 is like i don't think you can really justify making a tf3 no it needs to be something spectacular for that but i don't know if if the player base is there and they manage to grow it somehow um and there's a case for it maybe they would make some some interesting this content. is this is just goodwill on their part at this point yeah. they don't see fiscal return for any uh anything they do for tf2 but having said uh, that, at least not not at the scale that they expect. Yeah, having having said that, I do want to go back to this, and we should do a community night on man versus machine. I think that'd be tons of fun. Oh heck yeah, yeah, super down. I'd be so down for that. Always.
Uh, I'm going to let you take the next one, seeing it's your game that you're in love with and I don't really <laughs> play it much, but uh, there's a new Cherry that's Blossom very... update coming to Minecraft. Uh, that's that's not a descriptor for myself <laughs> that I would have thought when uh, in relation to Minecraft. But yes, absolutely. The um, Not long-awaited. Uh, Mojang have been very good at spacing out their updates. We've been getting a very sizable chunk of content every year and a bit for about five years now, I want to say. I wasn't playing back then. But 1.20 is scheduled for this year. Uh, it is currently unnamed, uh, which is a thing. So, as yeah, of they normally recently, name their, their snapshot updates, don't they? Oh, only recently. Uh, mm -hmm. um, the most recent one was... Oh, actually, I'm not sure. 119. Uh, was that Cliffs and Caves? It might have been. Um which was actually so big that they had to split it. So uh, 1.20 is uh, scheduled for this year. And there were, and as we're leading up to the, the big like cycle for announcing stuff for it, uh, we were recently told that there's going to be a new uh, cherry blossom field biome, which is, I looked up some videos. Uh, it's going to spawn in the same place where meadows do, which is to say high Y elevation, like kind of in mountain regions where you just find potentially valleys or just like cliff plateaus of uh, cherry blossom trees and it looks gorgeous already uh this update is also going to come with if you haven't heard the sniffer which is this um ancient beast um that you get to bring back to life uh, one of the themes for the update is archaeology and like unearthing stuff from a new block that they have called Suspicious Sand, where you, you get a new tool called a brush, and you kind of brush the sand away, and yeah. you get items out of that, including, like, diamonds and stuff. I'm so, not going to yeah. lie, that actually sounds super cool, and, like, I want a minigame built around that. Like, just being an archaeologist, I'd love it. I think that, that this is opening up a big avenue for development in their educational branch potentially because mm -hmm. minecraft educational is still a thing i don't yeah. know how much they support it nowadays but yeah it, it's always a matter of potential with minecraft right of like what can you do and in the current snapshot it's still reasonably limited but the impression i get is that we shouldn't expect it in the first half of the year especially if the update's not even named yet so very cool i'm excited to see what happens yeah, for sure. I'm sure that you can take me to your world and show me a whole bunch of other horrors that uh, <laughs> you've created in the new it's stuff. It's just shop. how you play Minecraft <laughs> with crazy eyes, just like that's just what you do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so jumping back to Valve, kind of. Um, this one's kind of a non-story, but I really am excited about this. Um, so Campo Santo, the team uh, that made Firewatch former Idle Thumbs uh, podcast hosts um, and, and developers of other games, obviously, The Walking Dead, um, some of the Telltale uh, games. They made Firewatch and were acquired by Valve not long after they announced their game in the Valley of the Gods. Uh, that was immediately just put on hiatus as they went off to work on Half-Life Alex and a bunch of other internal Valve projects that probably will never see the light of day. All of a sudden... The Steam store page for In the Valley of the Gods has a date of December 2029. Um, probably means nothing, um, but this uh, Rock, Paper, Shotgun uh, story did mention that uh, Valve has introduced some new like uh, policies that standardize date displays for games, but that 
they still leave the vague coming soon display as an option. Um, so it just seems kind of weird that they've actually gone and put a date on this. Does this mean someone at Valve is working on it? Is Campo Santo kind of back together? Um, kind of interesting. Is this an ARG? Is this an ARG? Is this actually Half-Life 3 confirmed? Who knows? Um, but it is worth noting that uh, one of the Campos uh, co-founders told Polygon back in the day uh, when they announced that this was on hiatus. Certainly, this feels like a project that people may return to. Uh, when that happens, we'll find an exciting way to let fans know. Don't think this is the exciting way, but it just kind of reminds us that the game exists and and that's super cool and I, I'm very happy about that and I I love Firewatch. I still think it's a, an incredible game. I think it's an incredible piece of narrative fiction um, to see that studio back together um, with, you know, the addition of the workforce of Valve behind them like could really make this uh, In the Valley of the Gods really stand out. So fingers crossed. It's not really news and we don't report our rumors here very often, but like this one's important to me. So that's why it's in there. I really do hope that something does come out. I mean, there are facts and the fact is that a, a date got added. But yeah, a date got added is the fact. At this time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so we're going to jump into some Nintendo stuff right now. We're not going to spend too long talking about the Nintendo Direct, uh, but there was a Nintendo Direct that did happen. Um we got big a new trailer. Yeah, it is a big one. Don't get me wrong, but this is a couple of weeks ago. I'm sure people who are yeah. watching or listening to this have heard about everything. So we're just going to kind of gloss through. But there was a new trailer for uh, Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom that actually looks pretty good. Um, they finally yeah. released a Metroid Prime remaster, but not the trilogy, just the first game, which seems a bit odd, but all reports are it's pretty good. Um, Pikmin 4 got a release that date was- and it's... Oh yeah, sorry. That was a uh, that was a an announcement that went and it's out today now. Yeah, so yeah. There is value in that. That was big. Yeah, that's um, true. Shout out. And drop. I know we're not harping on this, but uh, you know the common consensus is that this is um, hype building. I like how we just release remasters as part of hype building now in the yeah. lead up towards Metroid Prime Four. Yeah, exactly. Right? So and maybe that's why they only released the first game because the game is still five years away (laughs) probably so (laughs) possibly yeah (laughs) yeah um pikmin 4 which is revealed not that long ago actually got a release date and it's happening this year um i've never been a big pikmin fan but i'm sure people were pretty excited about that um it's coming out july 21st uh I think a big thing for a lot of people was Game Boy and Game Boy Advance games on Switch Online, um, and that was also a shadow drop. Yeah. They dropped a bunch of games. This felt like a matter of time, but the way they dropped it was definitely trying to make as big of a splash as possible. Yeah. The thing for me is, uh, I mean, I don't even have a Switch anymore. I sold it when I got my Steam Deck, mm. but the, um, yep. the problem I always had with Switch Online was like, Hey, I have a mister and I have other ways to play those games like on a CRT, but let's pretend I didn't like I'm a beholden to what games they choose to, for me to allow. And they just never really seem to update them. And when they do, it's pretty lackluster. So while they're hit off with a splash here, like I'd be wary of them actually adding meaningful, uh, meaningfully to this collection. Um, But there were some good games on videos. In, yeah, in the marketing videos, they show the games coming up as well. So you can have an idea of what to expect in the next while. It's not going to be as big of a drop every time. Yeah. But at least the next wave is uh, known. So if you're after 
if you're already a Switch owner, is really the way this works. This yeah. isn't something... I, I hope this doesn't entice people to buy a Switch because it's cool, but there are definitely easier ways to get Game Boy games. I literally have... But if you already have a Switch... Yeah, three then. devices sitting on my desk right now, including yeah. a lovely... I mean, I can actually show people on camera now because that's a thing. Oh, yeah, this lovely yeah, Ambernick here that I played my Game Boy Advance stuff on. Um, so Advance Wars 1 and 2 Boot Camp finally got a release date April 21st, so nearly a year after the original pushback because... I guess the Ukraine war doesn't matter to Nintendo anymore. Like, I don't know. It seems very weird and vague. Like, oh, we're going to block this because of the war and the war's still happening very much so. But hey, it's okay now. Um, so I don't know. I feel a bit weird about that personally. Yeah. Um, Mario Kart. More Mario Kart tracks are coming. Splatoon 3 expansion is coming out and adds the town from uh, Splatoon 1. That's kind of neat. Splatoon 1. Incopolis. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Incopolis uh kirby return to dreamland deluxe like a lot of remakes and and sort of um content coming yeah. out the back another one that i think a lot of people were super excited about um was uh, ghost trick is getting a yep. a uh re-release i'm kind of excited for that yeah i yeah, never played never it played. I'm, I'm super keen to yeah. check that one out um yep. another thing samba de amigo is coming back to switch that seems kind of odd and Level five, just swinging, swinging from the, out of the shadows with a new Professor Layton as well. I think they had three games in this uh, direct. Um, yeah, I was gonna say level five was just all over. It was the new Layton, uh, a new game, a detective game called Deca Police. Yeah, Deca Police and looks super cool. It does. The trailer was definitely like different, right? It yeah. catches your eye because it's, it's. Nintendo in in the new sense of the word Nintendo, you know, not not quite fully rounded down, but like still soft and, and approachable. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, it was, it was a packed direct. I think it's the best one that they've had for quite some time. Um, but this, this came... feels like the expect all of this for this year and a bit more. Um, this e is the big one that's just shotgun blast of content. So. Yeah, I think they just need to placate of, hey, we don't have new hardware coming. Look at all this stuff we're bringing, though, sure. right? Like, that's kind of what it felt like. Yeah. Um, and, like, I'm not going to well, lie, a couple of times, like, oh, man, I should probably get a Switch again, hey, because there's some good stuff coming out for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, but I mean, what, what you can expect going forward in the year will be uh, franchise or even, like, genre-specific direct that, mm -hmm. are, that will come up. And one of those will undoubtedly be another hey, here are, like, indie games we want to highlight. Yeah, 100%. Uh, um, and just, yeah, that that's just going to be the thing, right? Like, it's going to be a, uh, here's our full catalog, and then for the more directed ones, as, you know, pardon the, the nomenclature, uh, you get just focused Nintendo Direct segments of just, yeah, are you interested in just Zelda? You can bet there's going to be a, like, 30 to 40 minute Zelda Direct coming up at some point where they just, you know, hype it up. And that's going to be cool. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think Nintendo, for all of their faults, I think they are probably the best at this direct marketing in in the space right now. Um, you know, even if you're not a huge Nintendo fan, I think that they, the way that they break up their, their indie showcases and then they'll be like, all right, this is just for Pokemon fans. And I'm like, I don't care about Pokemon, so I don't need to watch that one. It's not a thing where yeah. I have to sit through like an hour long stream for something I'm only interested in for five minutes. Or for like, a five minute segment, if you're yeah, lucky. Exactly, right? So I do like that they tend to do that. Um, 
But Nintendo has seen their profits slip. Uh, apparently, chips crunch and and all of that stuff from supply has been a big uh, big proponent of that slipping. But they're down uh, 5.8% um, from the same amount of revenue that they had done last year. Um, having said that, Splatoon 3 sold incredibly well, especially here in Japan. Um, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, of course, is the fastest selling Pokemon to date. They also listed Nintendo Switch Sports, which I have not heard anyone talk about, but I guess someone's buying that thing. Right? No, it, it I, I saw it make the rounds on the creators that I follow. Oh, uh, yeah, right. It cool. looks good. Yeah, yeah I mean, it yeah, looks, it looked fine. It actually Im- immediately on launch looked a bit um, lacking in features, but I mm-hmm. think that's slowly getting fixed. Because they so. add a golf. Uh, but lacking features, later, I mean, right? like, yeah, it, it, I mean more of like, there were a lot more games from the sports and sports resort series that people expected at like immediately. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, you know, a few like just smaller things of just playability and stuff like that. But it looks like it's getting better. Um, I don't yeah. know. We're, we're still looking at they lowered they're lowering their um, fiscal profit forecast mm-hmm. from let's just convert to U.S. dollars because that is easier for yeah. my brain to understand from <laughs> three billion to two point eight billion. Yeah, that's that's still, still 2.8 billion. That's, you know, <laughs> like, oh, my God, 200 million down. But that's a lot of money still. Um, yeah. And as long as the company like expects that kind of reduction and p- perhaps plans for even more of a reduction than that, they're fine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, and despite this slipping profit margins, they've announced a 10 percent pay rise for developers, um, which is is pretty good. Um, so there was a 20% dip in switch sales, um, according to that same, uh, report, but they're going to be raising uh, 10% pay for, uh, they told the company investors, uh, the quote here yeah. from, uh, Shuntaro Fukurara is it's important for our long-term growth to secure our workforce. Um, now this is a big deal, especially for Nintendo Japan, because here in Japan, the government has suggested that workplaces raise, um, salaries which the government typically does not do things like that um because inflation has really hit and japan has been pretty controlled on inflation for like decades now um but starting in january uh the end of january they just raised the price of like 800 like daily household items um so like salaries and wage increases are a big topic of discussion here in japan right now um and I guess this has spread across to the US as well because we have a quote here. I think everyone expressing their frustration about the pay is finally paying off and everyone in the department is discussing it more openly now instead of keeping wages a secret. And that's a huge shift considering like just last year they were firing testers for trying to unionize and all this sort of thing, which, you know, this is a far cry from creating unions, but it is a step in the right direction of looking after their workforce. And I think, yeah, this is an issue across the industry, as especially at AAA level, um, as a whole, right? You have people like Ubisoft just hemorrhaging talent, um, and Nintendo sees that we need to make sure our talent sticks around now for when when the market starts swinging up again. And there's a lot of talk of the market swinging down again, but these these dips are just you know COVID hangover, right? Like people aren't home as much; they're not buying as many games. They're not stuck inside buying new toys, so to speak, right? So 
it's still higher than it was before. It's just there was a massive, massive growth spike for a year and a half, two years there while everyone was trapped inside. And now that uh, COVID is a bit more normalized, um, people are not doing that as often would be my prediction, but I'm not a financial analyst. So, you know. And also I want to just go back to the point I made of just, they're not hurting yes. by any means. Nintendo is still healthy. Less profit than you expect is still profit in the case of Nintendo. So it's good that employees are hopefully getting some of that. Yeah, and definitely looking at at the direct that we just talked about, like they're not looking like they're slowing down at all. So it looks like it's mm. going to be a fairly healthy year, I would imagine, for Nintendo based on their game slate. Um, Probably. So, yeah, I think I think that's pretty good. Um, but moving from Nintendo, we're gonna we're gonna try and talk about the Microsoft Activision uh, acquisition. <laughs> situation that just continues to evolve um we're not gonna dive like super super deep but we will give you a quick primer for those who perhaps don't know about it um but it was back in january of last year microsoft announced that they were going to be purchasing uh activision blizzard uh which also includes king abk um yep they're going to be purchasing them for 97 uh 70 billion US dollars. US dollars, that's right. Yeah, US dollars. Um and that would take all of the studios underneath Microsoft's arm, kind of what they did for Bethesda, uh, except Activision is a much bigger beast. Um all of this was coming off the heels of massive sexual assault allegations and poor working conditions uh that had risen to the top and basically were like at the the government level of of court like prosecution of the california board of government um and bobby kodak who's the ceo has been like named and shamed and been sort of held responsible and complicit in a lot of these issues um which has made him probably the most hated man in gaming right now um and for good that's reason. a feat that's a yeah. feat. yeah yeah that is a feat and he doesn't work at ea right so like this is like yeah not a good guy, especially like some recordings and stuff have been released. Like it's confirmed, not a good guy. This is not hearsay. Um, so, you know, Microsoft stepped in like, well, we'll take this off your hands, which then, you know, it was confirmed that Bobby Kotick would be leaving um, as soon as the deal's done, like gets his golden parachute, gets out of there. And then Sony has stepped in and are not happy about this. They're saying that Microsoft buying Call of Duty, they keep citing Call of Duty as the, the number one thing here is like going to hurt competition despite Microsoft from the start saying that Call of Duty would remain on on PlayStation consoles for the foreseeable future yep. for many years. Yep. That number of years was found out to be seven years, I believe. Um, this yep. was also like in line with what Microsoft, like Minecraft is still available everywhere it was available before. Updates yep. have continued to go out. Um, they have a track record of doing that Um yeah, so. I, I suppose it's, it's important to reiterate that whatever number that deal was stated for, that's not... And then it'll end there. It's just that's where the contract goes up to. That's where the, the agreement goes up to. Exactly, exactly. And the, the likely impression that a lot of people have is that it'll continue. So, yeah, there. Sony's been scra- screaming about the Call of Duty situation, um, which is interesting because Call of Duty up until... The end of last year was kind of a flagging franchise that was hemorrhaging users uh, for a couple of years, but then 
Modern Warfare 2 comes out in November and it's the biggest Call of Duty in a very long time. So that's given them a bit of footing all of a sudden. Um, but the argument was, oh, they have all these exclusives where most of Sony's games are exclusives. So it's kind of like people like throwing rocks in glass houses at each other. Um, yeah. And now regulators are involved. So, uh, yeah, it's, the, the, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, the, the The very impression, sorry, that's a horrible way to say. The feeling that I get about all of this is not necessarily that there's any uh, any gamer vested argument about this. I don't think end users will necessarily f- notice anything particularly different. This is all business. Um, yeah. Sony and all the big players are looking for reasons to not let a monopoly form, which is a very valid concern this would create a like microsoft and and abk are definitely very big forces when combined and yeah we'll start to rival the likes of sony and potentially even nintendo microsoft as you know big and powerful as they are in the gaming space haven't been at that level for a while ever yeah possibly they're still so very cemented in third place right Um, yeah and so that's what a lot of this is. It's all a lot of like, oh, we want to do good for our, our player base. No, um, this is all to stoke governmental bodies to take antitrust steps. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, which it's happening over in the UK right now. Um, UK regulator has said in its provisional report that it believes Microsoft would find it commercially beneficial to make Call of Duty an exclusive to Xbox or available on Xbox in an enhanced way, which could result in higher prices, reduced range, lower quality, worse service, and or reduced innovation. Um, The people close to this story are saying that this, the UK regulatory body is definitely much more of a concern than the US. If it goes to trial in the US, Microsoft will win. That's what people are saying, hands down. Yeah. Um, but they need to get over this hurdle. Um, the statement from Microsoft, I can't find it because these stories are very, very All long. All over the place. Yeah. Um, I'll paraphrase just because I can't find it and in the interest of time, but they basically have said, we look forward to teaching the UK regulators about our industry. (laughs) Like they're saying that these people just don't understand it, which unfortunately has been a pretty common theme for video games when it comes to these government regulations a lot. Um, But now the reality of, Hey, if this doesn't go through is starting to become a narrative it's been revealed that Bobby Kotick will not remain, uh, will not step down from ABK yeah. if the sale doesn't mm-hmm. go through. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. Um, the only uh, this is where that quote was. It says that the uh, UK's Competitive and Markets Authority is the only regulatory body that really matters, given it offers companies no legal recourse such as a trial. But Microsoft confidence remains high that the merger will proceed as planned is the quote from an unnamed trustworthy source in Eurogamer here. Um, so yeah, it's it's just a bit of a mess and it's all over. And then as part of the court documents going through all of this stuff, there's been like quite a few salvos, like Microsoft saying, we're third place, we're last of the console race. Also, Sony's games are much better than ours and sell really well, which is kind of funny to see a company just dunking on themselves like that. Um, 
But as part of this, Microsoft has also submitted that its internal analysis showed a decline in base game sales 12 months following their addition on Game Pass. This is in contrary to uh, remarks made by Spencer time and time again. Um, in 2018, when speaking to Giant Bomb during E3, Spencer specifically called out Sea of Thieves and State of Decay 2 as selling better than the company forecast, even though both titles were available on Game Pass. And he was also quoted as saying... When you put a game like Forza Horizon 4 on Game Pass, you instantly have more players of the game, which is actually leading to more sales of the game. Some people have questioned that, but when State of Decay 2 launched, you saw, if you looked at the US at the NPD, this game selling really well the month it launched on Game Pass. It's interesting because now there's a lot of people crying wolf about how Game Pass is destroying the industry. Um, And we were talking before the show. (laughs) I actually think... Just before the show, it, it has enhanced the industry in many ways. Um, look at a game like Pentiment and Hi-Fi Rush, two games that have just come out that are made from bigger studios, smaller titles, but with that amazing production value and experience that those bigger studios can provide. Those games just would not exist without a service like Game Pass. They just wouldn't. And I think that's where Microsoft has an interesting road or an interesting choice to make. Like, is this what they do? Do they have this stable of studios that are releasing these smaller but more interesting titles because they have to release more titles to make people want Game Pass every single month? Or do they go down the route that they just continually getting third-party content and then just pulling in new users that way? Um, And for me, I think Game Pass is really interesting because all reports, most reports um, from people that have spoken about it, Having that financial security of you get this much to put your game on Game Pass and it's guaranteed is definitely much more advisable, especially for smaller teams, than rolling the dice on Steam unless you're incredibly confident and already have like a following, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's just a bit of a mess. It's a bit interesting to see where Game Pass is going to go. And uh, yeah, it's Microsoft. I don't know. I think this will happen. This it's gone too far. There's too much money on the table. It will happen. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, boy. I mean, regardless, we're going to see the consequences of this deal for years, I feel like. We're already, see- we're already seeing a lot of it, right? Like, we have the... Um... Oh, crap. I don't remember the company. The Chinese company responsible for distributing World of Warcraft in China just said, uh, uh, yeah, no, we're Nettys. not going to renew our deal. NetEase, yeah. yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. And like being very vocally hostile about it as well. I mean, they literally destroyed um, the statue by hand and then gave everyone yeah. a tea that when you drink it, it has Blizzard written on the cup, <laughs> like an empty yeah. cup or something to yeah. that effect. Yeah, I mean, there was there was a not so subtle protest at the fact that, um, you know, a lot of their revenue was going to be taken away. And... You know, all of this isn't out of nowhere, right? Like, Kodak himself is stirring up a lot of anti-Japan and China sentiment in order to prove that this won't create a monopoly and that there will still be competition between the West and the East. And that's the position that they're trying to make. They're not denying that they will be the largest player in America and potentially the West um, in terms of video games. Just that there is competition in China and uh, with uh, Tencent and and that kind of stuff and, and obviously japan with nintendo sony etc so very interesting line for him to take basically every time he tries to make public statements and he was on national television in europe i think mm-hmm. like just saying some of this stuff it's just very very concerning 
<laughs> when he's on there trying to, um, you know, get all of this to go through. So we're going to see the the ripples of this for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find it very hard to believe that the wave of 10,000 layoffs at Microsoft earlier this year is unrelated yeah. to a $70 billion deal, right? That That's not a thing where you can go, we're going to spend $70 billion later, but also we're going to let go of 10,000 people here. And that's completely nothing to do with each other. I don't feel like that's a, a thing I'd believe. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see how it checks out. And also mm-hmm. I think there is a world where game pass needs to start adapting. And then the interesting mm-hmm. thing will be, do they raise the price? Are there less games coming out every month? is it more focused around their internal studios because they actually have release schedules like i don't know there's yeah. a lot that's going to change at microsoft in the coming years and that happened with every you know games on uh monthly game services right like ps plus was one of the first ones and that scaled back dramatically across its lifetime yeah um it's just a thing that happens yeah so yeah all right moving on to something that you're going to talk about um it's yeah it's time to talk about spend- ticket yeah, won't spend too much time on this, but uh, Tekken 8 was announced last year. The Tekken World Tour for 2022, so the the like world champion for 2022, um, was crowned uh, two weeks ago now, because time makes sense to me. Uh, and in the 12-ish hour event, which I was awake for most of, um, th- we, uh, we got more news on Tekken 8. Uh, so if you're a fan of Tekken, you'd be interested to know that it's probably not going to be out until next year, uh, which is fine, which is within a lot of people's expectations. But basically, at the Tekken World Tour for 2022, uh, Bandai Namco announced the 2023 tour, which means that it doesn't make sense for it to be out. Sorry, uh, Tekken World Tour for 2023 in Tekken 7. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't expect 8 until at least that you know, whole um, event is done. And yeah, it was later corroborated by Bananemco saying they hope to launch Tekken 8 in the current fiscal uh, in the current fiscal year, which should be before March next year. So the, all that lines up, all that's great. Uh, so if you're looking out for it, it's looking good at the moment. There was a 30-minute dev video about the features that you can expect. Uh, and if you're interested, go and check that out. It is, you know, it's more tech. One of the longest. Yeah, it's. Did you know that it's one of the longest running storylines in video games? I did know like that. consecutive because, yeah, it's so weird to think that it, that belongs to a fighting game, but it, I guess it makes sense. Um, Staying on track with fighting uh, games, though, tell me about Capcom Cup. Yep. So, uh, yeah, moving along real quick, the Street Fighter sphere of things, uh, Capcom Cup nine it looks like yeah is on right now actually i believe we are in the um final few groups of the eight groups that are going to be pared down to have the big um grand finals uh, Mm -hmm. run for players and this will crown the final uh official capcom cup winner for street fighter 5 because street fighter 6 is going to come out later this year 
So if you're interested in that at all, this is very much a, hey, if you're interested in uh, the Super Bowl, it's going to be on well, last weekend. But yeah, this is these were the two Super Bowls for the big uh, fighting game events and fighting games out there, right? Tekken and Street Fighter are definitely the big ones. And should be interesting. Um, I don't expect any more like groundbreaking news out of, um, you know, the Capcom Cup, like, hype cycle for Street Fighter Six. We know basically all there is to know about the game, short of just getting our hands and seeing how the single-player stuff's going to play out. But, yeah, just wanted to highlight that. Oh, one thing that I suppose is a fascinating uh, facet to Capcom Cup 9 is that the entire event is being run off PCs as mm-hmm. opposed to consoles, and that's a big deal in the sense that Sony and uh, Capcom had a very close relationship at the launch of Street Fighter V, which sort of coincided with near the launch of the PlayStation um, uh, 4. Been a while, I almost said PlayStation 5, that's very wrong. Um, and, you know, over the past couple of years, a lot of rhetoric has come up about how uh, if you play on PC on good hardware, you actually just will perform better. Yeah, and right. a lot of top players are, you know, reporting that. So it's going to be interesting to see where it goes because Capcom's bowing to that pressure a bit here. And there are top players who won't play certain characters on PlayStations if they're in tournament, even in tournament, even for money on the line, because they, they say they can't react um, as well because the hardware is not as good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, it, this is like the last bastion of like console esports, right? Because everything else is on PC. Uh, but fighting games have managed to be on console for ages because it's easy. It's easy for a um, a developer, a, a tournament organizer, to just go, "Yeah, we'll buy five hundred uh, PlayStations or whatever, or rent, you know, like a few hundred PlayStations, and then everything's done." But with PC comes a whole slew of, you know, a lot more compatibility annoying problems. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I can imagine like there's always like a free play area. That kind of stuff will probably still just be on console because that's easy. Mm-hmm. But if tournament stuff is going to be on PC going forward, that's something to look at at least. Yeah, um, and now, yeah. may I suggest I actually saw some photos recently on Mastodon of people taking all their steam decks and just plugging them into monitors as lands and fight sticks and stuff. And like, is that where we're headed? Yep. Like steam deck being a, vi- a viable way to, for TAs to organize stuff could be kind of cool. That's an interesting question. I don't know. It was like a big part of the argument is just the um, response time. And a lot of discussion was around uh, frame rates and monitors. So mm-hmm. people want to run, I think at Capcom Cup, they're running at 144 hertz uh, across the board. Uh, and I, is the Steam Deck capable of that? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, actually. I think it might only be... That seems six. unlikely for a handheld console yeah, to yeah, push yeah. That, that frame rate for yeah. no real reason. So it'd be interesting. It'd be interesting. There are definitely laptops that are cheap, as in like under a thousand US dollars cheap that yeah. can give the performance that people are looking for, which is part of the push, is that it's becoming more consumer um, capable. Yeah. Right? So, we'll see. Interesting we'll stuff. See. It so, is. To me, at a, least. Stu- 
a studio that I don't think about that often at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, PUBG, PUBG Studio, they uh, have come out and said in a recent earnings call, Crafton, which is the publisher that owns uh, them and a few other studios, they've said that they want to popularize games like Escape from Tarkov. So it's been revealed that the PUBG developers are working on a title. It's code name. It's got a really weird code name. Um, where is it? It's called Project Black, Project Black, Black Budget. Black Budget, yeah. yeah. Uh, so they're going to be doing their own sort of um, extraction shooter. If you don't know what that is, make sure you go check out my video essay about extraction shooters. I play a lot of them. Um, but, you know, we've seen the success of Tarkov in the hardcore milled sim space, and then there are games like Hunt Showdown, um, and DMZ and Warzone 2 is definitely taking it to a more mainstream level. Um so yeah, it's going to be interesting when they say the PUBG team, I assume that is player unknown himself will be uh, developing this, um, which that's kind of interesting because the, the whole extraction slash battle Royale genre did start with sort of his era of mod creating back in day Z. Um, so yep. to have them do their take on what an extraction shooter could be, that sounds super cool to me. I'm very, very cool about that. Um, I'm very excited to see what that is. Um, so yeah, that that was an interesting little tidbit that also uh, was followed up um, with uh, a new studio very is opening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, a new studio for Undercraft and is opening up in Canada, um, and it's not a small studio. They're hiring up 150 folks. Um, yep. I don't know if it says what city it's opening up, but I'm gonna guess it's probably Vancouver. Um, but they're going to be opening up. It's a AAA game studio um, led by former Ubisoft game director Patrick Mefe. That's completely wrong. I don't know how to say that last name. I'm sorry, Patrick. Apologies. Uh, yeah, apologize. <laughs> um, and yeah, quite a few other former Ubisoft, as we just talked about. Um, they, uh, you know, leaking talent left and right. Um, yeah. So yeah, they're going over to head up Crafton, Canada. Um, Oh, it's going to be in Montreal. There we go. So they're opening up in Montreal. Nice. And it looks yep. like they'll probably be helping out with The Bird That Drinks Tears, which is based on a Korean fantasy novel series. And the uh, the concept trailer that they released for this game looks absolutely wild. Um, very kind of excited to see what that is. Um, and it's kind of good that... Uh, it's kind of good that they're continuing to go down this route of, of making new games in studios, especially like I could see um, Callisto Protocol might have scared them off because it wasn't super successful. But yeah, Crafton making making big swings. Um, so yeah, that's kind of exciting. And in, in a couple of weeks where we've had a lot of stories about studios closing the doors to their older games and games not being viable, it's kind of nice to see a uh, studio kind of starting up in a big way so that's kind of cool yeah and final news story is just kind of a bit of a feel good although it probably won't make you feel good if you watch it but double fine has uh released psych odyssey which is a document uh, a documentary about the development of psychonauts 2 um so you know before they were purchased by microsoft double fine were making the um uh what was that had a name the documentary for broken age double fine adventure was it, it was just called double fine adventure um two play productions so. were there the statement here yeah as part yeah. of the um part of the kickstarter back you know like this is 
this is crazy like double fine started video game kickstarter basically like they were the first project yeah. to get a million dollars and and make that thing massive yep. and they did this whole documentary yep. and they were kind it of like it was great and at the time though a yeah. lot of people called it out like oh like oh they've got no money they're running the studio wrong and kind of shied away a lot of developers from doing something so raw and open i think because they were like yeah. called out and tried to people tried to backseat manage their company i guess um, yeah there's a lot of misunderstanding of like how much money it costs to just make games because yeah. they think about the end product and how cheap it is and it's like that's very not representative of how much it costs to make something exactly so i kind of think that um them doing it for psychonauts 2 is really interesting um it i like that microsoft has allowed them to release it because i i haven't watched it yet but i assume it's going to be as raw as as the uh, first documentary was um so yeah very excited it's long it's 20 over 20 hours long um so yeah that's right yeah yeah that's out on youtube you can watch it for free um so if you're interested in game development i highly recommend checking that out and just as a side note tim schaefer is about to be inducted into the academy of interactive arts and sciences hall of fame um so that's kind of neat it's super neat i'm I'm really glad that finally finally knocking on wood that uh double fine is in a place where they have some security and can just make cool games um so yeah very very happy to see this out there in the wild such high profile creators and um it's taken a while to get this kind of security it has taken a while all right well yeah oh yeah sorry go ahead no, 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 It was a thought of just, I don't even know that they have security. It's just that we feel they're probably fine under Microsoft, but who knows? Yeah, maybe not. Who I knows? mean, Psychonauts did really well. It was up for Game Awards. Yes. I think it sold pretty well Psychonauts outside did. of Game Pass. So yeah, yeah, I think it should be good. Um, but yeah, now we're here at the back half of the show where we're just going to talk about some games that we've been playing. Um, I'm going to kick it off with uh, Zero Sievert. Uh, so I did a live stream of this, like maybe, uh, about three weeks ago, working on a review of it right now. I've played about 10 or 12 hours and, uh, it's a top down sort of 2d pixel escape from Tarkov like, so it's an extraction shooter. It's an extraction shooter. Yeah. It's a, it's a single player, but it is very much, very much taking the theme of Tarkov. Like it's very military. It's based in an exclusion zone. It's very like Ukrainian, Russian expired. Um, you're getting the correct bullets to go into the right gun at the right gauges. And you're doing like upgrades and stuff. And um, yeah, it's kind of interesting because it's a single player only experience. So you're not worrying about other players um, and you go out into these areas um completing missions for people that's back at your home base bunker and you're kind of searching around shooting wolves um getting pelts from animals going into cities that have these like ghoul creatures that are like irradiated but then you'll just run and run into other raiders out there um who are all quite hostile most of the time um and then occasionally you'll just walk into a, a house that actually has a character in it that gives you a little bit of backstory and asks you to to get some food for them because they're starving so you go get the food for them and 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 you give them the food and then you go back to your base and you get told by the military that that person's crazy and that you need to kill them because they were trying to kill them and so what you do because you're you're a 
good video gamer, you complete all the quests you can for the old guy in the log cabin and then just kill him at the end. So you get the most XP and items, but you feel really bad when you do it. And that's basically Zero C in a nutshell. It's really cool to have a world, like more of a world feel than the more traditional extraction shooters. Yeah. For this though. Yeah, it's, it's really cool because... Um, like while like Tarkov in particular, you have the quests for the traders and stuff that you do. And there's always like a badly written story attached to it. Like you feel like you're going into it. Like, um, and the world is living, like not only did I meet this old guy, but one night I was on a night patrol, which is very scary and very dangerous. And I just ran into some raiders who were not hostile. They would not shoot unless I shot them. And like, they would let me loot their crates and they asked me how I was doing and all that stuff. And like, you don't talk back to them. Like, this is a very basic game, but it just made the world feel like, oh, wow. It's like, it's not static, even though it largely is. It it made it feel more like I was having a bit more of a a role-playing experience in that world. Um, Yeah. And but it doesn't take away from the complexities and the military oorah of what makes Tarkov tick for a lot of people either. Um, pretty impressive game that has, uh, you know, it's a single developer too, so it's 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 all one developer and um, impressive. yeah, it has a bunch of different areas. So I've been working on this review for a while. Like I already have my thoughts on whether the game's worth it or not. Like I'm going to do an early access review, but I wanted to unlock at least one more area. So I'm like hour 10 and i finally unlocked the next area i'm not even ready for it but i can just go there and it kind of looks exactly the same so sorry folks the review is going to be of the opening area worth of video footage but i've been watching some youtube videos of late game stuff and there's like some crazy mechanics that seem to come into play like electrical weapons and and some puzzle solving and those sorts of things so it looks pretty neat i think if you're if a game like Tarkov really scares you, but you like the idea of having high stakes, high reward going in um, and doing little missions, it is a pretty good fill for that. Because when you die in Zero Siva, you don't lose your stuff. So in all the other extraction shooters that I've been playing, like you go in, if you die, everything that's on you, it's gone. And like you can get to a point in those games where you don't have funds or materials to craft new items. You can get stuck very easily, right? Um, like Marauders is a, is a good one for that. If you spend all your money buying guns and then you've got to go in with the pistol because that's the only thing you can get for free, you're going to have a really bad time playing that game. Um, Zero Siever, when you die, it just reloads you before you got on the train and went into the drop zone. So it is almost, I would say, like a, a stepping stone into this game. Like if you find the extraction into the genre, rather, if you if you find the extraction genre just really confronting, this is a good way to, okay, I've got the thrills of finding gear. Because if you find good gear and die, you don't get that gear, obviously, right? But you're not going to get in a place where you can't dig yourself out. Um, so I think it's, it's a good sort of trial um, for that genre. I personally don't think I'll play much more of it because like I am into that high tension and also just 3D space shooters are my jam. Um, like this, I don't want to say nuclear throne, but it does remind me a lot of nuclear throne in some of its mechanics and its perspective. And that's just not the type of game that I really enjoy, but I do enjoy Definitely. this game. I think it's super cool. Yep. Um, Looks cool yeah, from what I saw. Yeah. I know it's not your jam, so you probably don't have much to say about it, but um I am interested in hearing about Forspoken. How much more have you played and and what's your opinion on the game so far? I've maybe played as much time again, probably, since last Uh time we chatted about it. 
And I've only really gotten like one boss in. And it's cool in that open world uh, opens up more kind of sense. I, I do like the idea that as you go through the bosses, you get more um, traversal, more mobility options, mm-hmm. which makes a lot of sense. Um, it makes the open world... You, you want to recontextualize the open world that you've given players, right? So it makes a lot of sense from the traditional game design sense. The, the, the thing about it is that it's very much the Ubisoft model of open world, where, yep. you know, you don't, you don't literally just climb a tower and, and reveal a map area, but you basically do that. And uh, it's, it's fine. It's very competent for being a game in that, uh, in that genre. So if you like that kind of game, a lot of people do. They're, they're fine games. I just can't play too many of them at once because they get mm-hmm. a bit samey. So this is the first one I've had for a while. Um, the writing is a bit ham-fisted, which is very <laughs> unfortunate. Uh, it's not bad, but it's not executed super well either. You have a lot of um, the main character doesn't want to be there, which is a bit tiring. Mm-hmm. I'm like 16 hours in, and I want to be past this stage of the of the story. Like, right? You're here now. I, just deal with it. Right? Like, kind of. So I'm a I'm a huge fan of the hero's journey, and it, and it's not a model of story you can apply to everything. But like my favorite part of the hero's journey is answering the call and crossing the threshold, which is the point where your protagonist. Um, basically commits to the adventure um and making that a a dilemma is actually very interesting of just like you are walking away from something but like it's been 16 hours and a lot of that is just open world it takes Mm -hmm. a long time to get through that stuff so that's okay but you know we're we're a few story beats in now and yeah Frey is not the most likable. I, I think a few people have said this already, and I kind of get that. Yeah. So it's unfortunate, but the gameplay is relatively solid. The traversal is fine. It reminds me a lot of Infamous Second Son, which is something mm-hmm. I think I might have said before. Um, the terrain is a bit barren, especially after, like, um, so like if you think of like a spectrum of open world, right? You have like a lot of people hold um, Breath of the Wild and Elden Ring to pretty high standards uh, as as a pretty good standard i mean and then on the other hand not to throw shade it is their first time trying to do an open world and it it was very valiant uh effort but like sonic forces (laughs) right sonic forces feels like they took an unreal game Uh, sorry frontier yeah yeah i both f games sonic frontiers uh it, it really feels like they took like a world and then they just put platforms above it you know, mm-hmm. that's the that's how their open world feels. This is like kind of in between and probably a bit closer to frontiers than anything else, because it just feels like there's a lot of terrain and you just run across it, which is really cool. The the traversal for the game feels good. And that's very clearly one of the core like aspects of the game is mm-hmm. just how does the open world feel? How does traversing the open world feel? And if you recall, a lot of the early trailers was Frey running across an open world right it feels very much like horizon where uh one of the selling points was alloy exploring an open Mm -hmm. world so for forspoken it's like running around an open world um you get a like zipline thing as your first upgrade you know so 
that kind of stuff. They want to make the world feel fun to run across. So in that part of things, not bad. Um, it's really helped by how speedy a PlayStation 5 is. And mm -hmm. when you load, uh, when you fast travel between areas, you don't have a loading screen anymore. You have like a two second screen, which, yeah. you know, which is fine. And then, yeah, you're already there. So you can jump back and forth between objectives very fast. And I do think that that hardware and that approach can change the way you approach open world design. You can put a lot more fast travel points in. You can make um, smaller pieces of objectives just scattered further out and let players jump around as they please and then make getting to those points the fun part and then yeah interesting take on the genre nothing particularly new i don't feel like mm -hmm. that they're offering right now and i will say i'm not impressed by the story so far yeah it's unfortunate i was hoping it was going to be a bit better there was there's definitely room for it to be a bit better but yeah i the, the the comment that you made about like traversing the open world like adding fast travel points like for yeah. me that is why i don't like open world games because if mm. you're just gonna put in a point for me to skip the getting around part then make the getting around part more enjoyable right um yeah for me like I don't know why, like, I tried to play Fallout 3, like, so many times, like, maybe five or six times, and I just could not get into it, but then maybe for four or five years ago, I, I don't know what clicked in my brain, but I played that game from start to finish, and I never used the fast travel point, like, just walking around yep. and just really mm. soaked it in, and that open world is small enough you could do that, right? Yeah, when you're playing a game like right. Red Dead Redemption 2 or maybe Forspoken, or these so worlds are huge. so big. And so probably huge. not the case yeah. in Red Dead. I don't know about Forspoken, but so many of these, um, so many of these open world games, like the A to B part is just, I'm literally just doing the A to B part. Like there's nothing of interest for me to explore. There's nothing of story worth for me to get. I, as a player, am not the type of player that like, I am Geralt. I must feel Geralt. I must touch the grass. Like I don't play games like that, right? I play games to experience yeah. a story. I very rarely in a video game, put myself in the shoes of the character, as weird as that sounds. I don't know why. I yep. know a lot of people do. I don't. So, yeah, to hear you say, oh, this could change open world design. Well, it's like, well, why do we need the open world if you're just teleporting around everywhere? Yeah, um, there's, there's an interesting thing about that of just, I see, I definitely don't like open worlds, so maybe that's an artifact of this, but what I uh -huh. see is... Oh, I can go here and get this, and I know that there is... So, one of the things that I, that I did uh, across the past couple hours is when I want to upgrade a spell, the way you do it is you have to do certain things in combat normally. And I know where a massive group of zombies spawn. Mm-hmm. So, I just teleport back there every now and then. <laughs> like that's useful for me. You know, it's just useful. It, it's literally right around the corner from one of the safe houses yeah uh, and then you can get back on the main story and then you can do some exploration and stuff like that so i'm trying to there there's a lot of ways to play open worlds there's a lot of people who want to do that i'm never going to fast travel i want to take this all um at real pace at real mm -hmm. space and this is fine for that honestly because if you just follow the main story and do a couple of divergences it actually won't take very long i think you honestly probably could have finished the game with the amount of time i've already put in 
mm-hmm. if you had just kind of beelined through objectives. But I'm that old school JRPG player who wants to do as much of and like open world suck for that kind of mentality because there's just too much and there's normally too much in the Ubisoft um style of open world, right? There is you know, clear this cave, get a small reward. Um, clear this tower, get a small reward. Come and touch this statue, get a small reward. And there's so many of that across the map. So it's okay. I every now and then I give open world to try again. Forspoken yeah. is not a horrible one. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas I had more trouble with um, Shadow of War, Mortar. Ah, uh, yep, yep, um, yep. Which is like very Ubisoft open world, but. A lot smaller, right? That's a, that's a lot smaller, yeah, and a lot more combat focused, and uh, very much more directed. And you'd think that would be better for, you know, all the things I'm complaining about, but it just felt too formulaic because mm-hmm. so much of it relied on the procedural generation of the Nemesis system. Ah, right? uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, the Nemesis so. system. We can't say that. We now cool idea, money, right? Because they've they've locked it off. <laughs> It's such a cool idea, and it's a shame that like it's it's so hard for people to use it yeah. now. But yeah. it was a really cool idea. Yeah. Um, another really uh, cool idea on. is another game that I've been playing and completed. Um, Citizen Sleeper. Oh, nice. Citizen Sleeper finished it. is a phenomenal video game from last year. Like probably one of my favorite experiences in a number of years. Um, so before we start talking about it, like open transparency and all that i used to work a fellow traveler many years ago i did do a smallest amount of work on in other waters the game that i jump over the age released before this one uh but citizen sleeper uh i remember i saw the trailer and the art style it's like this cyberpunk i don't know i wouldn't even call it cyberpunk it's like a sci-fi sort of gritty um role-playing game um where it's like one part visual novel one part dice game which sounds really reductive but i don't really know how else to explain it it it's very much inspired by um i would say inspired by disco elysium in the way that it presents its dialogue and its ideas and you're making like choices um in how you interact as a character um and when you start the game you have two character archetypes so there's like an engineer i think and i can't remember what the other one is um, but they have different stats for these little systems that are in the game. And then every day you wake up and you roll a set of dice and the number of dice that you have is based on your um, your energy levels in terms of eating and, and, and working and all that sort of stuff. And, um, oh yeah, probably should tell uh, you, this is not a spoiler, but you're like an Android robot person that has the consciousness of your former self inserted into it. And the Android frame, as they're called, is owned by a corporation. And there's like a built-in obsolescence. Um, So you have to get this uh, illegal drug uh, stabilizer to keep yourself running, basically. Um, And that's kind of the thing there. It's a little bit of Blade Runner-ish there. And um, yeah, so you wake up every day and there are all these different locations that you can visit. So it's all sort of like a top down, beautifully like cell shaded, uh, illustrated sort of spaceship, all these different locations. And you go to a location and you'll either get a story or, or a talking beat. And then there are things you can do at the location that will require you to slot in uh, a dice 
right? So that's where the numbers come into play. Like, okay, you can only do this on a on a three or above, or a six or above, or um, there. Are, uh, sorry, that is completely wrong. I don't know why I just said that. <laughs> um, <laughs> the way that the dice system works um, is there's like a, a percentage based on the higher the number, the higher percentage of positive, neutral, or negative outcomes, right? So a six is 100% positive. A five might be 50% positive, 25% neutral, 25% negative, those sorts of things. And then there are certain actions um, that do require a specific dice number, right? Um, so, so as you, you get go, a pool at the start of the day and then you get yeah. to assign it so you to get tasks. six yep. right and yeah. then you assign it and there's yeah. always too much stuff to do on a day so you have to start thinking about it and then certain actions will kind of like blades in the dark have a clock so you you put yep. the dice in it'll tick over like two beats of that clock and you have to fill the clock for it to finish up so like I could spend all my dice doing this one thing to progress the story and really chat with the person I'm really like vibing with right now, but then I can't eat or I can't do a job to earn money or I can't go yeah. buy the stabilizer and I'm going to be dying tomorrow. So it, it really forces you to make these interesting choices about, okay, how do I spend my time here? Um, and yeah, it's, it's really, really nice, like moving the, the story that I went through, which I absolutely don't want to spoil any of it, but uh, I think I played like, I can actually check on my notion right now. Cause I have this neat game tracker. Uh, so I played seven hours. I think it was, where is it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, seven and a half hours. And I was doing a lot of the side stuff and there were things that I didn't even touch at all. Mm. Um, and they're releasing free DLC for this game. Um, so they've released two out of the three packs. So I'm just waiting for that third pack to drop and I'll come in as the different character and try and do as much of the other stuff that I didn't touch. Um, but the way that the studio just delivers this narrative, that's really playing along with like work labor rights, um, what it means to be human and, and human rights, what it means to respect the people around you to deal with corporate hardships um to deal with humanity was like super moving to the point that i actually almost cried at the end of the game like it was yeah the game was absolutely phenomenal um i cannot recommend it enough the soundtrack the art just the writing and design um blue and i we've been playing a little bit of blades in the dark which we need to revive soon i'm itching um yeah. But so many of its systems I could see here, like, working yeah. really well. Um, yeah, like, I think if you like stories, if you like tabletop games, but you want a DM of your own, like, you don't want to worry about that. Um, if you if you just like an, a narrative experience that makes you make choices, I think, like, you'd be hard-pressed to not find something that you enjoy about this game. That's awesome. It sounds amazing, actually. Yeah, I, I really, like... I, I liked In Other Waters. In Other Waters, which was the previous game, was kind of a similar sort of thing. It's a narrative experience where you're like charting, chartering the waters of a, of a new planet. People don't know what's going on and you're searching for things. And I don't remember there being dice rolls and stuff, but you're like signing energy and you're choosing to do things and you're scanning your surroundings. Like you can see the very, at least from a narrative perspective, what Gareth, who's the developer at Jump Over the Age, is really really good at and like here you had this really good game and then like for a sophomore release you'd be like oh yeah it'll be a little bit better but this is just a masterclass in narrative design like 
phenomenal. Um, and you know, like the art, some of the character designs are a little bit too, um, cutesy, I guess. Like it's definitely more on a friendly side of character design. It's not like dark, gritty, like cyberpunk 2077 sort of art style. And that might turn some people off, but I think just as a whole, the warmth of the warmth of humanity that it creates in such a desperate situation is really striking. And I think that really plays into the design. Like I met a vending machine that had the consciousness of a, of a robot that was hiding from a, a sentient AI that was trying to take them out. Like that's the kind of heady stuff that you're dealing with here. And then you can choose whether you help them or not. Like, yeah. Yeah. Super neat game. Highly recommend. Go check that out. Um, but yeah. Now tell me about your very heady game that you <laughs> no, I don't. I did feel like I was Did you always cry when you opened the last pack or <laughs> No. No, absolutely not. Um so I've also been playing Hearthstone because um only only a few days ago the Return to Naxxramas mini set released on Hearthstone. Uh mini sets are every halfway to the next set for um, hearthstone is how they do them and instead of like i think the cards are put into the packs anyway but you can also just buy every card in the mini set for an amount of real world money or an amount of in-game currency um which is nice so you get to experience everything that mini set has to offer it's i don't remember 40 something 50 something cards maybe something around that order uh whereas a full set is normally like 200 plus right mm -hmm. so uh, it's not huge, uh, but it you know adds adds a bit of stuff. And uh, normally the mini set is also when um, Battlegrounds gets a small update. So yeah, it's been kind of just fun to just get back into deck construction and playing with that kind of stuff again. Um, I really like deck building. It's just a thing that I like a lot. Uh, and I've not been in the mood for it for a while. Um, so I'm just going to keep with Hearthstone for now. And I know that moment i'm ready uh i have magic the gatherings uh phyrexia all will be one waiting which mm -hmm. released a couple of weeks ago and that's that's a whole other ah <laughs> card games are really cool i don't know it's just hard to explain card games are really fun for me <laughs> and uh i'm playing stupid decks right now where uh -huh. it's just i i want to turn into like crazy lich lady that spawns water elementals when i kill things um i, I there's a a new um like win the game combo where if you kill a a legendary minion mm -hmm. that'll put three other legendary minions into your deck and if all of them die you win the game uh and there's a card in the hunter class where you get to just fire three minions out of a bazooka from your deck and then they die immediately that's so cool. that's a fun combo you, you I... kill it and then you put the three things in there and then you fire three horsemen out of a bazooka and you win the game <laughs> that does it's sound really pretty neat stupid. i'm just not big brain really enough for deck building games like i struggle enough with netrunner which is like some could argue one of the bigger brain net deck building games yeah but, um absolutely yeah. like that it, it you know sometimes you see a game and you you start to get an idea of what synergies exist what archetypes to go for netrunner is a bit more uh opaque for me it doesn't yeah. immediately jump out but uh, you know it was the same when i got into magic the first time it's just you, if you don't know the language of the game it's hard to do it right yeah i think um, the thing like Yu -Gi -Oh that for now looks impenetrable 
Yeah, I think the hard thing with that runner too, you're playing against your opponent as much as you are their deck. Like how good are they at bluffing and how good are you at reading those bluffs is an integral part of the game. And I suck at all yeah. parts of the game. <laughs> it was definitely one of the things that um made me not want to get into magic to begin with. It was just like, I don't have the brain space to understand what my opponent could possibly have in their hand. And that's a big, big part of magic. And it's unfortunately a much bigger part of Netrunner. And um I don't know how to do that well. <laughs> and so I get scared off of the game, which is unfortunate. It looks really cool. And I wish I gravitated to it immediately like you I'll, did. But. I'll, I'll convince you one day. Uh, but uh, speaking of card games, yeah. we are going to play Across the Obelisk together on YouTube is the idea, um, which is a card idea. game. It's, it's Darkest Dungeon meets Slay the Spire. Loosely a card game. <laughs> I don't know. It, like, it 100% is a card game. But, like, it, it sure don't feel like one. Yeah. When you're playing it. Yeah, I agree. But it's a cool game. Yeah. I'm very excited. It's really cool. Yes. Um, cool beans. Um, well, I guess that's a show. We That, that was a, a bit of, a chunk of time. That was a chunk of time. Uh, so, a bit of housekeeping. Uh, you can go to pixelsforbreakfast.net and check out Renoa's uh, backlog update. They released a story at the start of the year about you know making more conscious decisions when choosing what games to play and spend your time with and as part of that they're doing like a monthly backlog update uh so that's up there battling the black uh, battling the backlog update january sayonara ayesha yoroshiku yoko is the name of that story um blue and i will be back here right here on youtube uh, we will be playing Hi-Fi Rush uh, for an hour or so on Monday night. Uh, so make sure you fingers hit crossed the... Fingers crossed this time. Yep, fingers crossed. Hit that subscription and the notification bell. Uh, Zero Sievert is currently in development. And then, yeah, as we just mentioned, Blue and I will be starting up Rogue Life, um, which is going to be a series where we do runs of this game that takes a million years to do and uh, hopefully beat it. Yeah, th this is probably not the best one to start the series on but man it's a fun game it's so, so fun i want to i want to finish it uh blue anything yeah. you need to plug or talk about before we head off nothing to plug so i don't know it's a hard world out there please take care of yourself everyone <laughs> yes absolutely look after yourselves and we'll see you back here in two weeks uh and make sure if you uh, could uh go find us on spotify apple podcasts google play or wherever else you get your podcasts and if they have a review system leave us a review that actually does help us a lot I've been Steve, this is Blue, and we'll see you on the next podcast. Artifacty hand.